0: Welcome to Becoming of a Scientist, a series of podcasts by McEnflore, where we take a peek into the life of the world's greatest pioneers and understand their journey from a simpleton to being the greatest minds to walk on the planet. Today, in the second episode of Becoming Franklin, We will get to know about the life of Rosalind Franklin, who was popularly known as the Dark Lady of DNA. We will talk about her life, which is nothing short of an intense thriller movie. We will walk you through what discoveries she made in the field of chemistry and biology, and also how her many contributions were unrecognized. It is sure to turn some heads and it will turn yours too. Before that, a brief introduction to Mekanflow and who we are. Mekanflow is a team of young enthusiasts proficient in the core and basics of mechanical engineering who wants to contribute to helping each other grow in this field in every way possible. As a means of inspiring young minds, this podcast provides a series of experiences of the most brilliant minds who overcame obstacles in the field of science. I am Suresh Nayar from Mech & Flow, your host for this podcast. Today we have with us two distinct people from different walks of life who are, who are contributing to the society in different ways. Let's meet them. First, we have Deepthi Pujari who is an, who is an Aeronautical Engineer come Naval Architect from IIT Kharagpur. She started her profession with Indian Register of Shipping, which is a regulatory body working with the research team on various naval projects and many more. Currently, she is working as a decarbonization specialist with May's Climb Fleet. Hi, Dittie. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. Now, today is a Women's Day, so I would like to hear what are your thoughts and can you share some feelings on Women's Day and what it means to you?
1: So, yeah. Thank you, Suraj, for that introduction. So, first of all, wishing all the women out there a happy International Women's Day so now talking about uh, progress of women all i can think of is uh, back in time in 18th and 19th century when women were struggling and fighting for their rights right and I look back at the previous decade where I can see women in all fields doing all kinds of stuff, flying fire, flight jets, you know, becoming the CEOs of companies, chairing uh, bigger organizations. Also on, you know, petrol stations, you can see women these days. So it's pretty um, long stride that women has women have taken and they have paced up and caught up with male counterparts right so I just believe that we all have the capability and the capacity to get things done it's just the small gap of you know go get it attitude that stops us so women have yeah. progressed you uh, know uh, fabulous way I would say and I'm really proud of how things have turned out and how uh, female are making mark in every field be it social political or economical yeah right, you
0: said Rightly said it. Also, we have with us another guest, uh, Saily Davle. She is currently working as an intern at Dr. Dwight Medical College. Okay. Also, she is a head coach in GSC, which is an organization that transforms women's lives. She also has a creative side too. Hi, Saily. It's such a delight to have you with us. So, can you tell me a bit about and our audience a bit about what GSC is, what it does and how it is changing women's life. and also what does Women's Day mean to you?
2: Yeah, sure. So, thank you so much, Suresh. So, definitely, uh, women's have made them capable in each and every field, what I think. And as Zipti said just now, she may be a housemaker or scientist, artist, CA, doctor, etc. Also, we women had sowed our seeds in different fields, like education, business, relationships, knowledge, etc. So deep that now the results are coming up in the form of fruitful fruits and beautiful flowers, what I think. Isn't it, Dipti? Yes, totally agree. Yeah. So, um, even GSC is one of the organization where uh, we say that women can transform the nation. Like, and gse what we help from the uh, right from pregnancy and so on so this is how all we work together in gse and i'm proud that i'm a lead coach uh, of gse from past two years and definitely like what i must say that where there is a woman there is a magic so this is all
0: Very for me said.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah right it's all the best to you and your organization who are working to, you know, like changing women's life and helping them, you know, and also you are working from the past two years, let's say, during this, uh, you know, pandemic you know, helping people. Yeah, and helping yeah. Who are until,
2: yeah, until today, almost more than 40,000 plus women have uh, attended our workshops and all. And wow. we must say that we have... Uh, transform those
0: many lives. I mean, talking about you know, like you are—you uh, people are one of the few women. I mean, you know, one of the few of the many women that are you know, working around the globe, changing the perspective that about women. Also, you know, helping other women to you know come up to this, this, this same level, and you know, helping them also get opportunities to working out and uh, you know uh, transform the society as we know. Similarly, you know, now this is what we are talking about in the present and people that we see right now in our society. But there were women, you know, back in the days, say 1950s, 1930s, all around the globe, you know, making magic, doing magic, as you said. And one of those few personas are our topic of discussion today. We all know what is DNA, what is RNA. What are viruses? Uh, what is coal and graphite and stuff like that? Right. So these have been a part of our curriculum from the very get go. You know, from I think it was seventh grade, if you agree with me, it was I, I guess it was around seventh or eighth grade that we started studying about what DNA is, what the structure of DNA is, and you know, how it works. Also, we learned about what coal is, graphite, and the ton lot of uses of these particular items. Also, these are some yes. of the crucial elements Yeah, These are some of the crucial elements that have shaped the human civilization to be uh, frank. And many scientists across the globe and over the long period of time have and are still contributing to this field. But today we are not going to talk about those famous people who have, you know, who are rec- who have recognized and you know, awarded with, you know, Things, But we are going to talk about someone very special today. Someone who is unknown, an unknown personality who has contributed greatly to this field, a dark force. But unfortunately, she couldn't be awarded with the awards that she deserved because of an early death or, say, the small disputes that she had between her colleagues. She is known as the Dark Lady of DNA. She is none other than... Infantry, and now we're going to talk about this particular personality we'll just you know take a look into her life who she was uh, what she did she do and why is she called this you know, dark lady of teen and why is her name so important that every one of us should know that over to you Ditti. let's look at uh, you know let's hear from you who she was where she was born a bit of you know, background from her. Yeah.
1: So, let's uh, know something about her early life. So, she was born on 25th July 1920 in Notting Hill, London. Her father was Ellis Arthur Franklin and her mother was Muriel Frances Wally. Her father was a politically liberal London merchant banker. Her family was actively involved with her working men's college. So where her father had taught the subjects of electricity, magnetism, and the history of great war in the evenings. So later on, he turned out to become the vice principal of the same college.
2: Yeah, Evan, I would like to say something. Um, Franklin's parents helped settle Jewish refugees from Europe who had escaped the Nazis, particularly those from the kinder transport. They took into two Jewish children to their home.
1: Rosalind from a very young age had some exceptional scholastic abilities. Mm-hmm. So she had developed interest in cricket and hockey. That's too far away from science.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And when she was 11, she went to St. Paul's Girls' School in West London. Mm-hmm. And she had excelled in science, Latin and sports. A combination of a really varied um activities, I would say. Exactly. So she
0: because, was
1: a, yeah. an enthusiastic all-rounder, right?
0: Yeah. Because yeah. We, ne- ne- we never hear, you know, like women you know, going along with cr- cricket. it's okay. Cricket, we have, uh, you know, we see that. But hockey is something that, you know, usually women don't refer as per my opinion. Yeah,
1: so especially so, at that yeah.
0: time. Exactly. <laughs> especially at that age. I mean, it and in
2: 1950s, although, and in 1950s, and in 1950s, was yeah. Exactly, exactly. Right. Wow. But uh, along with this, I would like to share um, more like interesting activities, what she was doing. Her only educational weakness was in music. Other than that, with six distinctions. And yeah. also she passed her matriculation in 1938, winning a scholarship for university. Yeah, but surprisingly, uh, her father asked her to give the scholarship to a deserving refuge student.
0: It's pretty unexpected because it distinctions. I mean, that's not something... Yeah. To, uh
2: Yeah,
1: eventually, I think she went to Newnham College, Cambridge in 1938, and she studied chemistry within the natural science tripos. She also got the second class honors for her final exams. So Cambridge had started awarding the titular BA and MA degrees to women from 1947. And there were many women graduates who had retroactively received these degrees. So in her last year at Cambridge, she met a French refugee. Adrian Will. Now, he was a former student of Marie Curie. He had a huge influence on her life and career as well. So, he also helped her improve her conversational French. And
2: also along with this, uh, she was awarded a research fellowship at Newnham College. Uh, and here she joined the Physical Chemistry Laboratory of the University of Cambridge to work under who won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry, Ronald George Breford Naresh described her as obstinate and almost perverse in argument overbearing and sensitive to criticism so i guess one more quality and so well
1: uh, what i read is norish was an alcoholic so we mm. might oh. not completely rely on what he was exactly. trying to tell us yes, about her yes yes <laughs>
2: yeah
1: so she had basically fulfilled the requirements of national service acts by working as an assistant research officer at the British Coal Utilization Research Association. So she was uh, accompanied by her cousin Irene Franklin then and she had volunteered as an air raid warden and had regularly made patrols to see the welfare of people during the air raids. Now during the same time, she also studied the porosity of coal using helium to determine its density. So she had also discovered the relationship between the fine constrictions in the pores of coal and the permeability of porous space. Now by concluding the substances were expelled in order of molecular size as the temperature increases, she had helped classify coals and accurately predict their performance for fuel purposes and for the production of wartime devices, such as gas masks, which were very crucial during the wartime.
2: Yeah, and uh, I've read uh, this thing that in 1945, when the World War II was ending, right? So, she was looking for a job at a conference in the autumn of 1946. She was introduced to Marcel Mathieu, a director of the Centre National de la Researcher Scientifique, that is CNRS, uh, the network of institutes that comprise the major part of scientific research laboratories supported by the French government. And this led to her appointment with Jax Merring at the Laboratory Central des Services Chimics de Elite in Paris. And along with this, she joined the laboratory as referred to by the staff of Mering on 14th February 1947 as one of the 15 researchers. So,
1: Mehring was basically an X-ray crystallographer who had applied the X-ray diffraction to the study of rayon and other amorphous substances. So, he taught her the practical aspects of, you know, applying the X-ray crystallography to amorphous substances. But yeah. basically, due to her keen interest and, you know, keenness, he had applied them to further problems which were related to coal and other carbonaceous materials. In particular the changes to the arrangement of atoms when these are converted to graphite. Now doing this, she had published several further papers on this work. This became the mainstream of physics and chemistry of coal and carbon. So during the same time, she coined the terms graphitizing and non-graphitizing carbon. Now the work that she had done was covered in a 1993 monograph and it was regularly published in a textbook the chemistry and physics of carbon. Amazing. Wow.
2: Mm-hmm. Amazing. Really amazing. Yeah. And uh, Evan Franklin was granted a three year turnout and to work at King's College London, directed by John Randall. And she was originally appointed to work on X ray diffraction of proteins and lipids in solution, but Randall redirected redid- her work to DNA fibers. So just add to
1: that, I would just narrate the story that she had used. Huh? ordered by Wilkins, and then she refined it, adjusted it, and focused it carefully. And she drew upon, um, because she was from a physical chemistry background, she made a critical innovation there, was that she applied it, making the camera chamber that could be controlled for its humidity using different saturated salt solutions. So this was something different, something new. She had tried and she had innovated. Some. So her habit of intensely looking at people in the eye, being concise, impatient, and direct had always unnerved many of her colleagues.
0: Right. I mean, yeah, that something was something uh, very
2: different side.
0: So as we were talking about her, uh, you know, as uh, Rommel Norish also had mentioned, like she had a kind of crude, behavior a kind of crude personality in which she was you know very persuasive in her arguments and you know a bit overbearing type i mean that kind of uh, you know personality can be you know recognized here
1: i think given yes. the time and the surroundings i'm maybe that could also be an Exactly. You know, contributed to the kind of attitude she
2: had. Yeah. But uh, she immediately discovered that the DNA sample could exist in two forms. One is like relative humidity higher than 75%. And the DNA fiber becomes long and thin. When it was drier, it became short and fat. So, this was discovered by her and she originally referred to the former as wet and the latter as crystalline. She,
1: she, she totally was a committed person, but to experimental data, she was sternly totally against the theoretical or model building. And what she said was, we are not going to speculate, we are going to wait, we are going to let the spots on this photograph tell us what the DNA structure is so she did not want to rely no. on any modeling or any theory but then wait and watch what exactly proves from the photograph as the structure of dna right.
2: right yeah quite practical approach right we must say yeah
1: so by january 1953 she reconciled her conflicting data concluding that both dna forms had two helices and she had started to write a series of three-draft manuscripts, yeah. two of which included a double
2: helical DNA backbone. Yes, three manuscripts. Kudos <laughs> to her. And uh, even Franklin's verbeck colleague, Aaron Klug, designed this paper to complement the first article he had written in 1968, defending Franklin's significant contribution to DNA structure. And he had written this first article in response to the incomplete picture of Franklin's work depicted in James Watson, 1968 memoir, The Double Helix.
1: So one of the most oh. critical and overlooked moments in DNA research was how and when Franklin realized and considered that B DNA was a double helical molecule. So when Klug had first examined Franklin's document after her death, He initially came to an impression that Franklin was not convinced of the double helical nature until the knowledge of Cambridge model. But later on, it was discovered that the original draft of the manuscript, which was dated 17th March 1953, from which it became clear that Franklin had already resolved the correct structure. So, unfortunate. Yeah.
2: And when she continued to explore another major nucleic acid, that is RNA, a molecule equally, to, uh, equally central to life as DNA and she again used your x-ray crystallography to study the structure of TMV that is tobacco mosaic virus which, was an, which is an RNA virus hmm. her meeting with Aaron Klug in early 1954 led to long-standing and successful collaboration what we can say
1: hmm. so I have another incident here to quote to you guys so Franklin also had a research assistant, James Ward, which who was subsidized by the National Coal Board and was now the leader of ARC group at Burbuck. So the Burbuck team members continued to work on RNA viruses affecting several plants, which included the potato, turnip, tomato, and pea. So in 1955, the team was joined by an American postdoctoral student, Donald Casper he worked on the precise location of RNA molecules in TMV. So in 1956, he and Franklin published individual but complementary papers in March 10th issue of Nature. So in which they showed that RNA in TMV is wound along the inner surface of hollow virus. Casper was not an enthusiastic writer and Franklin had to write the entire manuscript for him. Can you believe that? So, her research grant from AIC expired at the end of 1957, and she was never given the full salary that was proposed by Burberg. So, just to compensate that, after Bernal requested AIC chairman Lord Rothschild, she was given a year of extension ending in March 1958. Yeah. So,
2: another incident which I remember here, after World War II, was to be held in Brussels in 1958. Franklin was invited to make a five-fit high model of TMV, that is Tobacco Mosaic Virus, which was an RNA virus, which started in 1957. Her materials included table tennis balls and plastic bicycle handlebars, grips, so on. So the Brussels World's Fair with an exhibit of her virus model at the International Science Pavilion. Open on 17th April, but unfortunately one day after she died, everything was published or
1: missed the opportunity
2: after she died.
1: So yeah, here we know of poliovirus, right? So there's some interesting fact around poliovirus, which relates to Franklin. Now she had visited the University of California, Berkeley, where her colleagues had suggested her group research the poliovirus. So, now with her group, Franklin then commenced deciphering the structure of poliovirus while it was in a crystalline state. After Franklin's death, Klug succeeded her as a group leader, and he and Finch and Holmes continued researching the structure of poliovirus. So, they eventually succeeded in obtaining extremely detailed X ray images of the virus. So, she laid the foundation, and Clug built on it.
2: So many interesting facts.
0: Exactly. And I mean, she is pretty much a great researcher. And she also, you know, these have proved that she's a great researcher. But again, with, you know, people like her, you know, whoever it is in the history, we have seen that, you know, great researchers or great inventors always had to encounter many problems, right? And we'll, we'll get into those problems that she had faced. And again, you know, how she, you know, fought against fought against these adversities and, and how was she in her personal life? I think we have, you know, discussed what kind of personality she had, but let's just, you know, talk about what went through in her personal life and what kind of relationships she shared with people.
2: Yeah, I think she was a person as if like with attitude of doubts, we can say. Because uh, she was described as an agnostic, which lacked religious faith and everything from her own line of thinking, actually. And she developed her skepticism, that is, an attitude of doubt, as a young child. Along with this, she refused to believe in the existence of God. And later made her position clear based on the, her scientific experience, which we have seen till now that her approach was totally practical approach.
1: I would say although agnostic and she lacked faith, she never abandoned Jewish tradition. She had joined the Jewish society while her first term at Cambridge and she had respected her grandfather's words and, you know, always consciously she remained a Jew.
2: Yeah. And along with this, uh, she was having like long-lasting love for France and its language. There was a trip to France in 1938, which actually gave this lasting love for France and its language to her. Which is considered the French lifestyle at that times as vastly superior to that of English. And along with this, she used. To uh, travel, she used to love traveling, basically, particularly trekking. And she trekked the French Alps with Jean Kerslik in 1946, which almost cost her life because she slipped off a slope and was barely rescued.
1: Close Ooh, call. Wow.
2: So people had praises for her intellect and
1: scientific acumen, but she was always portrayed as you know difficult to work with and careless with her appearance. Interesting fact, Hated called Rosie as her aunt was named Rosie and asked everyone else to call her Rosalind.
2: Oh, so actually her name was Rosie. We came. <laughs> 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 yeah, bit of a stubborn <laughs> Along with this, uh, she did not seem to have an intimate relationship with anyone and always kept her deepest personal feelings to herself and she avoided close friendship with the opposite sex which had some invitations but none work out. Right.
1: Yeah. So somewhere in mid 1956 so the tragedy struck here. Franklin first began to suspect a health problem. She had difficulty you know zipping her skirt and her stomach was always bulged as if she was pregnant and this scenario this situation was mark- marked as urgent and an operation was carried out on 4th September, which revealed that she had two tumors in her abdomen. So they were all visitors, friends, family, but she still resisted from staying with her parents because she couldn't handle her mother's uncontrollable grief and crying, which upset her too much.
2: Treatment, but she continued to work and her her group continued to produce results. Like seven papers in 1956 and six more in 1957. So I think this is what is consistency we can say, isn't it? As tragedy was going on, so at the end of the 1957, Franking again fell ill and she was admitted to the Royal Marston Hospital where she made her will, her colleague Aaron Pratt, the principal beneficiary who would receive £3,000 and her Austin car of her other friends, that is Mayor Livingston, would get £2,000, Annie Piper, £1,000 and Lungs, Miss Grift, £250. The remainder of the estate was to be used for charities. So, being stubborn but social, we can say.
1: A good soul. Yeah. So, even after going through all this, she returned to work in January 1958 and also got promoted to being a research associate in biophysics on 25th February. Unfortunately, she fell ill again on 30th March and 16th April 1958. She died in Chelsea, London, out of bronchopneumonia, secondary carcinomatosis
2: and ovarian cancer. Yeah, and I guess even her family history was, like cancer was a genetic in her family. This was a family history. Along with this, um, so many after so many years uh, exposed to X-ray radiations, sometimes considered to be a possible factor in her illness, what we can see. And especially gynecological cancer is known to be disproportionately high among Ashkenazi Jews.
0: As I said before, you know, being you know, famous or being great, and especially in the field of science, you know, comes with many controversies, many adversities. And Rosalind Franklin's life was not any different. I mean, she would have come across many controversies. Uh, the famous one are some DNA structures, but she was working on diligently, and you know, laid the foundation uh, for the you know, research in DNA structure. I and mean, that is one of the most famous controversies that exists. Aside from that, there were others as well, I suppose. And uh, you know, well, let's talk about this. Pointless. So
1: yeah, there were many allegations related to her. She was alleged sexism towards her. You know, King's College, London was an institution which was not a distinguished for the welcome that is offered to women, and Rosalind was unused to per the accusations of sexism in regards to Ellis Franklin's attitude to his daughter. So a good deal of information explicitly claims that he strongly opposed her entering Newnham College, stating that he refused to pay her fees. And that an aunt had stepped
2: in to do that for her. But, um, but her sister, Jennifer Glean, has stated that uh, those, these stories are myths and that her parents fully supported her entire career. James Watson and Sarah made her look like a feminist heroine, according to Franklin's sister, Glean. And also, Franklin wrote in her letters there was some sexism that occurred in the field as there was a rarity of women teachers.
1: So, looking at the first important contribution to the model, which was popularized by Crick and Watson, was a lecture at the seminar in 1951, November. So, the two forms of molecule, type A and type B, a position being that the phosphate units are located in the external part of the molecule. So, other contributions included an X-ray photograph of BDNA. So another controversy here was that in Cyrus biography of Franklin, it contains a story alleging that the photograph 51, which was in question was shown to Watson by Wilkins without Franklin's permission. And this constituted a case of bad science ethic. In addition, there was another dispute to the story asserting that Wilkins had been given the photograph 51 of BDNA by Franklin's PhD student, Gosling, because she was leaving King's to work at Burburg. And director Rondell had insisted that all the DNA work belonged exclusively to King's and had instructed Franklin in a letter
2: to even stop working on it and submit her data. There is no doubt that this Franklin's experimental data were used by Greek and Watson to build their model of DNA in 1953, even... Like, as Suraj st- uh, stated in the starting that from seventh 8th, we are listening to RNA DNA molecules and all those things. Mm-hmm. So I guess even we was like used to know that this was proposed by Grick That's and right Watson, right. isn't it? Yes. yes, yes. So some have explained the citation omission by suggesting that it may be a question of circumstance and Maddox made a well-received case of inadequate acknowledgement. Such acknowledgement as they gave her was very muted and always coupled with the name of Wilkins. Patson's words impulse Sare to write her rebuttal, in which the entire chapter 9, Winner not take all. In fact, Watson and Greek cited no experimental data at all in support of their model. Franklin and Gosling's publications of the DNA X-ray image in the same issue of nature served as the principal evidence.
1: Unfortunately or sadly, Franklin was never nominated for a Nobel Prize. Now, her work was a crucial part in the discovery of DNA structure, which along with subsequent related work led to Francis Crick, James Watson and Morris Wilkins being awarded the Nobel Prize in 1962. Now, Aaron Club, Franklin's colleague and the principal beneficiary in her work, was the sole winner of Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1982 for his development of crystallographic electron microscopy and his structural elucidation of biologically important nucleic acid protein complexes. Franklin had started this research, which she introduced to Klug. If she were alive, she would have shared this Nobel Prize with him. She had really a lot of very close misses, I would say.
0: Exactly. 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 lot of things that she has missed, and you know, she, the things. I mean, it happens to a lot of people that we have observed in history. Like many people who have you know done a lot, to a lot, always you know seem to miss it. <laughs> I don't know why, but you know, Fanny is no different. I guess. I mean, she had worked so much on the structure. I mean, even I can't believe. The Francis Crick and James Watson model that we all learned in our you know, while we were in school. I mean, these, this was actually led by Rosalind Franklin. And this name is like, it's not even that famous. I mean, it should have been. I
1: agree with that. Absolutely.
0: So, to summarize what Rosalind Franklin was, she was a very passionate woman. Frankian worked hard and played hard, we must say. Again, she was an avid hiker, a great traveler I mean, we looked at some of her experiences, a close call that she had with, you know, you know, being a very unseen person. She always had a great love of the outdoors. You know. She enjoyed spirited discussions of science and politics. She could also be short-tempered and stubborn, as we have you know, looked into, but Again, as you know, her life was full of adversities and you know, problems and she had an unhappy time. You know, a clash pers- her clashing personality, you know, uh, caused many misunderstandings with her colleagues. Like, between Wilkins and Wilkins was one of her colleagues that she always had, you know, she could always find herself having affection with. And Franklin's contribution was not acknowledged. Not acknowledged. But after death, Francis Crick, she made sure that her contribution was brought to the limelight. And he said that her contribution had been very critical for the research and DNA. And during the next few years, she did some of the best and the most important work of her life. And even when she was brink of her life, she traveled the world talking about coal, virus structures, DNA structures. And but just as her career was peaking, it was cut tragically short when she died of ovarian cancer at the age of 37. Having said that, we yeah. have come to the end of our podcast. I thank Deepti Pujari Deep and Saidi Davale for taking out time to being with us and you know being part of this podcast. We thank you on the behalf of the whole team of McEnfro. And I also thank our team members, Sharmalim Abhishek, Ramiz and Anand for making this podcast possible. This was the second episode of the series Becoming of a Scientist. This is Mekhan signing off. See you next time. Thank you.